Good evening. This is Dove Tuzman. It's morning again where I am. Uh, this is our third straight week broadcasting from Dubai. So it's around uh, three in the morning here. What a special guest we have tonight. Tonight's program, which we've entitled Life 2.0, is about living in the wake of extreme trauma. And our guest tonight has gone through extreme trauma in her life. What an extraordinary thing to be speaking with a Holocaust survivor, a best New York Times best-selling author. Our guest tonight wrote her first best-selling book at the age of 90. She wrote her second critically acclaimed best-selling book at the age of 93, an inspiration to many, a hero to me, Dr. Edith Eager, welcome to Equal Footing. I hope we've got you. I know it's a difficult, it's been some difficult audio engineering this evening. Doctor, are you there? Hello, hello. Thank you for the lovely introduction. I'm so happy that I can be useful to you and guide people from victimizations to empowerment, from darkness to light, and I'm here to sell hope. Oh, God bless you, Dr. Igor, for, for the way that you approach life, the way that you have taken what you've lived through and transformed that into inspiration for others. I'm so honored to have you on the program tonight. I know it was difficult for you to join. Uh, there was some COVID exposure, as I understand it, in, in on your team, and uh, you being willing to do this uh, from home and, and under those circumstances is very appreciated. I want to, for those that are not familiar with Dr. Edith, Edith Eva Eager, I want to give you a bit of her amazing life story, just a bit, because I would like to hear more of it in her own words. Uh, Dr. Edith Eager is a psychologist who's still practicing. Uh, she actually holds a faculty appointment at the University of California in San Diego. Uh, she has a clinical practice uh, in La Jolla in California, and she was born to Hungarian Jewish parents when in 1944 uh, she was sent to Auschwitz in, in, during the Holocaust. She was only 17 years old. Uh, today, Dr. Eager is a world-renowned psychologist. She's a great-grandmother to seven. She's really the embodiment of lighthearted love and positive energy. She's a prolific author a member of uh, several professional associations. She's been on numerous television programs like uh, the Oprah Winfrey Show. She's been the subject of documentaries on the Holocaust, and she's invited to speak 
on her experiences and expertise throughout the United States and, and internationally. I encourage uh, listeners to, if you haven't picked up this book, order it now, The Choice, an extraordinary book about Dr. Eager's uh, uh, early life. The first third of the book uh, uh, talks through her experience at Auschwitz and during the, during the Shoah and then goes on to uh, cover an extraordinary life, including her correspondence and work with Dr. Viktor Frankl, who, of course, wrote Man's Search for Meaning, uh, her work with uh, really groundbreaking work around um, breaking the cycle of, of intergenerational trauma and working with uh, PTSD, really a pioneer uh, in that field. And her memoir, The Choice, is just uh, a must-read, not only with respect to Holocaust studies, but with respect to the field of uh, modern psychology, uh, the evolution of logotherapy, and really an extraordinary uh, piece of, of, of literature. And her most recent book, The Gift, uh, which gives um, guideposts to kind of saving your life, the idea that um, you can take the trauma that you've lived through and rise be above it, go, be, go through it, go beyond it, and, uh, and, and leave it, leave it, truly leave it behind. So with that, Dr. Eager, I'd like you to explain for a moment, for listeners that may be familiar with Viktor Frankl's work, and I know this is a tough question to start with, but if you'll permit me, how would you distinguish the way that you look at your life arc and your experience in, in the Holocaust with the way that, that Frankl saw and sought for, for meaning? You're, you're the subtitle of the choice is even in hell, hope can flower. And it seems to me that while you were fans of each other and learned from each other, that you really do take a step further and, and take a different approach than, than Frankel took in Man's Search for Meaning. Am I right? Explain. Um, I, I really appreciate your brilliant way of speaking. Uh, I was a very different time in my life when uh, Victor Franco was already a medical doctor, and I was a 16-year-old, actually, in Auschwitz, and I was in love, and I was a very strong Zionist. I belonged to the Betar, and we were going to go to Palestine and fight. We were very militant. <laughs> yes, uh, my daughter is looking at me. I said, yes, that was your mom. Uh, we had a goal. We're going to go to Palestine. So we were in a different time of our lives. And yet he told me when he was really in a terrible way, he closed his eyes and he imagined that he is in a Viennese lecture hall lecturing about the psychology of the concentration camp. And I said, I did close my eyes as well. And I imagined that the music was Tchaikovsky 
and I was dancing the Romeo and Juliet at the Modapasta Praha. So we were in a different time in our lives. But when someone sent me message for meaning, and I started to read it, and I wanted to write 10 pages for everyone, because I found someone who had a verbal capacity that I didn't have, because I came to America penniless, I didn't speak English, and I didn't want to do anything but be a Yankee Doodle Dandy, you know, like you. And so I I went underground. I didn't tell anyone about Auschwitz because I just didn't know, and I didn't have the verbal capacity that he did. And so I wrote an article very quickly, Victor Frankl and me, little old me, and somehow it was published, and someone sent it to him to Vienna, and one day I got a letter from Victor Frankl that he wants to meet me. And I met him at the wonderful international university in San Diego, where I live now. And um, he was lecturing there, and we met in person, and I became a logotherapist, of course, and learned a great deal from him. And then, of course, I was so happy that I could even become his colleague. And uh, so we had a great deal in common about not to give up and not to give in, and that's why I'm a proud Jew, because my ancestors were slaves, and they came out of slavery, and my understanding is that they walked in the desert more than 40 years, and they never gave up. So I carry that Dr. Eager, uh-huh. what, what year was that when you first met? In 1944, Frankel? I arrived in Auschwitz. It is documented at the Red Cross. I was, right. I was picked up in March. March 1944, Hungary joined Hitler, and I'm talking about that never in the history of mankind such a thing existed, but we have genocide as we speak, about 15 highly educated people. And... And my understanding is that, and we'll come back to Viktor Frankl after, but you're talking about, let's talk about the liberation of Auschwitz for for a moment. And my understanding is that when you were were found by a young American soldier, you were literally left for dead. You were in a a pile of of dead bodies, and and this soldier saw your hand move. And how you talked about, about this, you're like putting it away and not wanting to uh, talk about this level of, of, of trauma and pain for so many years. When, when did you decide to open up to the world? What, what, what made you decide to write the, the choice at such an advanced age what 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 made you decide to revisit that that trauma and 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 share it with the world? I was speaking at the universities, and many people never heard of Auschwitz, and I decided 
that I was chosen to do that, that I owe it to my parents that they didn't die in vain. And that's when I decided, and that was years when I was really working on the people who were beaten up by their husbands, um, families that were uh, violently, uh, unfortunately, um, treated. And so it was very important for me to know that anybody can do that. But I was there, and I must really see to it that my parents didn't die in vain. Machuka, would you please come here? Help me with the phone. Somebody needs to fix my phone. Okay. That's Thank okay. You so much. So I, when That's I, when I received that yeah. letter from Victor Franco, and uh, and when we met, I could see that uh, he was a brilliant man, and he taught the same way as I did when we had no chance of any kind in the concentration camp in Auschwitz, when we were told every day that the only way we'll get out of that as a corpse. And even today I say it's not what happens, it's what you do with it. How do you turn tragedy into triumph? How do you turn everything into an opportunity for an opportunity? to discover your inner resources, because I'm talking now to Ukraine. My my secretary tells me that I've been speaking to more than 100,000 people (laughs) about hope. And so I feel very good that I'm doing my calling and I'm seeing that nothing ever will happen what I have experienced. So I'm talking to young people mostly, and I call them the ambassadors for peace and goodwill. Uh, well, amen. May, may, may it never happen again. It's critical exactly. to keep, keep the memory alive. Uh, Dr. Yes. Eager, my grandparents were survivors in blessed memory. Uh, they they yes. dedicated a large part of their lives to ensuring that, that it would never Thank be you. forgotten. And, look, and, it and is, you and it, I talking now. Yes, you know, it's just uh, an extraordinary honor to talk to you. I want to tell you that children of survivors become the parents to the parents. They learn English mm-hmm. quicker. They eat uh, peanut butter. They eat uh, tuna fish. The things we never saw before. And so the question I ask, when did your childhood end? And I am sure your parents would be so proud of you that you're carrying the tradition and then you meeting me and you and I do everything we can to prevent ever some terrible things happen when good people do. Very bad things. So people ask me, Doctor Eager, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take our first uh, commercial break. Uh, I want to give listeners the number to ask questions of Doctor Edith Eager, uh, the author of The Choice, also the author of The Gift. She wrote The Choice at ninety, a Holocaust survivor, 
Auschwitz survivor, uh, extraordinary, uh, groundbreaking uh, clinical psychologist in the area of PTSD, as uh, she so beautifully just said that you you can turn tragedy into triumph. And really her book, The Choice, uh, which is subtitled Even in Hell, Hope Can Flower, is about about that, about moving through and beyond our trauma. That's why we called this show Life 2.0. We're here with Dr. Edith Eager. You can participate by calling 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. If you're shy about being on the air and you want to text a question or comment to Dr. Eager, you can text or WhatsApp to 917-428-4062. That's for texting a comment or question or sending it by a, by a WhatsApp, 917-428-4062. We'll be right back. Ooh, a little sparrow who's traveled far. I won't share my this special episode of Equal Footing is partially brought to you by Gratz College. The Center for Holocaust Studies and Human Rights at Gratz College prepares leaders, teachers, and scholars around the world to combat hate and transmit the lessons of history across generations. The Center for Holocaust Studies and Human Rights at Gratz College promotes interdisciplinary learning and critical discourse through its graduate degree programs in Holocaust and Genocide Studies, interfaith leadership, and human rights, as well as through its various community programs. From its origins as the oldest independent college for Jewish studies in North America to the launch of the world's only and largest online doctorate program in Holocaust and Genocide Studies, Gratz College, right outside of Philadelphia, has led the way in offering innovative educational experiences that connect Jewish history and thought with a broader global context. Gratz College is proud to sponsor this episode of Equal Footing with Dr. Edith Eager. Learn more. Go to www.gratz.edu. That's Gratz, G-R-A-T-Z dot E-D-U. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on I've been told. You're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. Honored to be here with Holocaust survivor, clinical psychologist, New York Times best-selling author, Dr. Edith Eager, author of The Choice, author of The Gift. Dr. Eager, before we went to the break, you talked about working in your therapy practice with PTSD, with people that have experienced violence. I know from your book that you worked with a number of former uh, soldiers who had had PTSD from wartime. And I wonder, having gone, having been a survivor, had been in Auschwitz, having lost uh, so many family members, been displaced. Do you feel like 
the work you chose was an ongoing trigger. I, I, I wonder as I was reading your, your work, if your therapy practice was constantly re-triggering your own PTSD. How did you do that? How did you choose that life path um, without it being almost like living in your own PTSD all the time? Yes, honey, I, I think uh, I will tell you about the patients who really taught me to go back to Auschwitz. But I must say that... Uh, Genocide, unfortunately, is with us as we speak, but never in a history of mankind such as scientific and systematic annihilation people existed. When 15 highly educated people really thought that they would really have the final solution, and I'm part of that. So uh, I had two paraplegics coming to see me, same symptomatology, same diagnosis, but one of them was in a kind of a fetal position. Why me? Why me? And was cursing God, everything, the world. And conversely, the other one appears in a, in a wheelchair and thanks me, you know, Doc, I am so blessed that God gave me a second chance. You know, I'm sitting in a field wheelchair, and I am uh, I'm looking at my children's eyes much closer. I can go and look at the flowers, and I'm much closer to it. And here I am wearing a white coat, and it says Dr. Eager, Department of Psychiatry. And I felt like the biggest imposter. Because I put that part of me somehow thinking that the longer I run away from it, the more it's going to disappear. And that's when I realized that I cannot take them further than I have gone myself. And I went back to Auschwitz, and that has changed completely my life, the way I'm able to recognize that I learned in the concentration camp to discover my inner resources, that life is from inside out, and it's not what happens, it's the way I view it. So I look at everything and I ask my patients, you know, in, in my book, The Choice, I talk about the Passover because I was the youngest in a family and I read the, the four questions. But the way I put the four questions in my book is, what do you want? The second question, who wants it? And that has to do with uh, choosing your life or you want to prove something. And I don't see mothers and fathers the same way because the mother is the one who holds that boy differently than the little boy and the father. I think the little girl is differently um, made to find somebody. And, of course, the little boy is going to be a lawyer and a doctor. You know, he's going to be a rabbi and so on. So the the young boy looks at that in two ways and decides that I want to be just like him or I want to be everything he's not. 
I don't know if any of you can really relate to that, but I find it that yeah. if you are out to prove anything, you're still a prisoner. I think it's important. Yeah, you've um, you've you've described in your in your in your books that that the the prison really is is in your mind, and, and the key is in um, your pocket. The key is, and the key has to be has to do with courage. To have, you have their and I think it's important. I think it's important for listeners to understand that your work, your memoir, the choice, your your recent book, the mm-hmm. gift. They're not. I, I. It's funny to say this, but they don't really feel like Holocaust books to me. Mm-hmm. Of course, the choice touches in the Holocaust, but they're really books about releasing yourself from mm-hmm. your trauma. Resilient and, freedom. You know, say it again. Yeah. I am so happy to talk to you. You really are a brilliant uh, person to interview me. That uh, life is difficult. Look at your birth certificate. There is no guarantee. There is no, no, mm-hmm. any kind of certainty. But there is a probability, and I think we have only each other in Auschwitz, and all we have is each other now. I spoke to over 100,000 people. Guess who? Mm, Yeah. Dr. Eager, I want to get to a couple of of, uh, questions that I had that came out of of your, your book, The Choice, and there's a scene, uh, it makes it sound like it's, it's a movie. There's a moment in your life where it's, you have ju- you're in Auschwitz. You have just found out from a prisoner who was acting as a guard that your mother had died. Yes. And I don't remember whether it was the same day or the next day, but very shortly after, you were asked, to dance, not asked, told to dance because you were a, an accomplished ballerina and gymnast yeah. um, as, yeah. as, a, as a child and as a teen, and yeah. you were asked to dance in front of, of Joseph Mengele, who yeah. I, I, I don't even want to, I don't want to benefit uh, his horrible memory with too much explanation other to, to say that you're talking about one of the um, most um, evil people to have walked the planet. And you're asked to dance in front of him. And it mm-hmm. just, how, how, did, how did you and do you deal with, mm-hmm. with moving forward and accessing some, I don't know, the, the literal or the, the, the spiritual dance within you while you have that kind of pain also. And, and for listeners, you know, I'm sure there are very few listeners that are Holocaust survivors, but all of us have a Shoah in our lives. All of us have deep moments of extraordinary pain, deep-set trauma. How, how did you dance? How did you and how do you dance with that type of trauma resonant within you? When I was in the Kevokan, my mother held me, and she said, we don't know where we're going, 
We don't know what's going to happen. Just remember, no one can take away from you what you put in your mind. And that's exactly what happened. Everything was taken away from us. Everything, everything, everything. And I had my mind. And I had my sister. So when the couple showed at the fire, I'm almost going to cry again. Uh, she pointed at the chimney and she said, your mother is burning there. You better talk about her in past tense. And my sister hugged me and she said, the spirit never dies. That's how I entered Auschwitz. But later, Magda, who was the pretty one in my family, my mother told me, I'm glad you have brains because you have no looks. So that's how it was. But, you know, Magda was a beautiful Hungarian uh, young girl, and she asked me, how do I look? And there we were, you know, in our nakedness, and I knew that I became her mirror. And so I told her, and I remember saying that, Magda, you have such beautiful eyes, and I didn't see it when you had your hair all over the place. So, you know, do you concentrate on, on what you lost or do you concentrate on what is still left in you? Uh, and you beautiful. Yeah, and she said, thank you. She, she said, thank you. And uh, we took care of each other because all we had was each other. And the way I ended up dancing for Dr. Mengele, because the teacher from the Jewish school I went to was there. And she pointed her finger at me, and I real, real parent's finger. And, uh, and she said, do as you are told. And that's how I found myself dancing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. amazing how things were evolving so fast that we took care of each other. Magda suffered more from hunger than I did. So I ate my soup at night, which was filled with all kinds of medication. I never cried in Auschwitz, but I saved the bread. And the next day, I told her, you know, I'm not hungry at all. And so we were really there, and we had to have cooperation, not competition. There's a a beautiful... uh, Sorry for the interruption. There's a beautiful uh, moment... Also in your memoirs, Dr. Eager, where after the, the, the dance in front of Joseph Mengele, uh, he gives you and your sister um, a, a bit of bread uh, as, as, a, as a recompense mm-hmm. for the dance. And, mm-hmm. and you who are at, mm-hmm. you, you, you weighed at this point, you know, you, you were, you were, Completely malnourished. Um, you, you at one point um, at the end of the the war, you you weigh seventy pounds. You can't walk. You can't talk. You don't even remember the full alphabet at that point. But when 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 Mengele gives you his bread, you 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 share it with the other prisoners. Exactly. Um, I was and, going to eat it, and then I realized that I have there make six girls, and I climbed up and they shared the bread. And guess what? When I was on a death march from Mount Mount 
to Gunskirche and, uh, and I began to stop. And when you stopped, you were shot right away and put in a ditch, which I revisited. But the girls that I shared the bread with, guess what? They came and they carried me so I wouldn't die. Isn't that amazing that really the worst mm. things can bring out the best in us? And that's that, what that really moment happened. of altruism, that moment yeah. of altruism sh- sh- saved your life later. Dr. Eagle, we're mm. going to take another break. You're, we're here on equal footing talking to Dr. Edith Eager, Holocaust survivor, uh, groundbreaking clinical psychologist in the fields of PTSD and intergenerational trauma, best selling author, award winning author of The Choice and The Gift. We're going to take some listener uh, questions. If you're calling in, please be patient on the lines. We, have, we do have some, some text comments and questions to take. We'll be right back. Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. We're here with Dr. Edith Eager, Holocaust survivor, clinical psychologist, best-selling author. Dr. Eager, we're talking. Let's let's just you know, put out a couple of of, uh, of numbers. As gruesome as this as this sounds, I think it's important to keep the memory alive, and then we're going to relate it to current events. The war, World War II. Uh, starts in, in 1939, and at that point, there are nine and a half million Jews in Europe. Uh, by the end of the war, six million of the nine and a half million have been murdered. Yeah. Uh, of the three and a half million that remain, two million are in now the USSR and the Soviet Union at the time. Only one and a half million in Central and Western Europe. Um, the the and, I, and these are these are things that that are kind of taken for granted. Um, at least for me, as a grandchild of Holocaust survivors, absolutely for you, Dr. Eager, as a survivor yourself. But I think it's important to note what, what, what this why we call it the the Holocaust. The Holocaust comes from the Greek word holocausten, 
the translation actually of the Hebrew word, Allah, meaning a burnt sacrifice offered whole to God. And it's, this word was chosen to describe this horrible event in human history because the ultimate manifestation of the Nazi killing program, the extermination camps, and you were in an extermination camp. In those camps, the bodies of the victims were consumed whole in crematoria and open fires. That's what they call it, the Holocaust. You'll hear the word Shoah. Shoah in Hebrew mm-hmm. means catastrophe. You'll hear the, the, the Yiddish and Hebrew word uh, Hurban, or destruction. And the, the, this was the greatest catastrophe in the history of certainly the Jewish people. And one can make the argument, and of course, the Holocaust didn't just affect Jews. There were uh, Roma, and, and there was killing in, in, um, in, 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 in Serbia and modern, in, in Croatia. Uh, and, of course, there were almost 2 million non-Jewish uh, Poles who died. There were, um, by different estimates, over a million um, prisoners of war and, and others that died in, in, in Russia. There were, there were more victims. The, 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 the Holocaust was the largest catastrophe, human catastrophe, catastrophe and taking of innocent life in the history of, of humankind. And it's critical that we keep the memory alive. Uh, so it, it, it's difficult to, to even process uh, these, this, this type of, of loss. Dr. Eager, you alluded to, I think it was in the first segment, uh, to Ukraine. And I want to ask you uh, directly, I'm sorry, I hope this won't be seen as, as too political or controversial a question, but as you see um, what's going on in the Russian invasion the war in Ukraine, um, does it trigger for you um, mm-hmm. the you know memories of or associations uh, with with the Holocaust? Is it is it, is that is it is it fair to even ask that question? If 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 it no, does, not at all. Do, do you I what what do you feel that uh, we should be doing about it? Either either at yeah, a yeah. Um, at an individual level in terms of processing trauma or at a, a larger societal level? Yeah, that's my question. I think uh, if one person suffers in a family, the whole family suffers. And uh, I know that my my assistant told me that so far I have spoken to over 100,000 people. And uh, and I talk about hope, and I talk about how everything is temporary, and and uh, and that winning now I can see. I spoke to over a hundred thousand Ukrainians, and I'm doing everything I can in my power to see to it that something will not just be unpunished. What is happening now? such cruelty. The two million people are already wandering somewhere in the world, and they don't even know whether they're ever going to see their children or they're ever going to see their parents. It is it is a terrible, terrible thing, and, and I hope the world will respond. 
what is really necessary right now so we can stop such cruelty. Yeah, that's a, a, it's it's very powerful to hear that from you as a as a survivor. Mm-hmm. I hope we figure out a way to stand up. more strongly with Ukraine and and protect yeah. innocent life there. Mm-hmm. Dr. Eagle, we have a couple of questions from from yes. listeners, and uh, the 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 first um, is related to in in your book your. Dis- your discussion, I hope you don't mind this being brought up, mm-hmm. uh, of, uh, of the divorce from your, from your husband, Bella. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the, 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 to what extent were you in that, in that uh, separation well, you're not- running? For, the question is basically asking about that, rather than going into more detail. T- tell us a little bit about about your divorce and then your, your, your coming together again and how that was related to okay. your uh, journey through PTSD. So, you know, people ask me, did you love Bela? Did you love your husband? And I answered, I was 17 years old. I was very skinny. I was very lonely. And most of all, I was very hungry, and he bought me Hungarian salami, so I married him. So you see, we grieve over not what happened, but what didn't happen. So I either became his mother or his child or vice versa, and uh, I married into a very wealthy family, and we even bought an airplane that we sent to Israel. And so we were very strong Zionists. But somehow, I don't think it had anything to do with my husband. I just became uh, uh, somehow realizing that maybe this is my whole life. And I got a divorce. I didn't have the right person to really talk to me well. And I didn't have a need eager to go to the work I'm doing now. But, you know, I didn't go back to my husband. I married him as a child. When we got together, I was a woman to a man. There is no going back. There is a new beginning. Mm. And in a way, the the rabbi rabbi married us the second time. The first time, there was no marriage. and no, that was no rabbi, and so we just went to the city hall, and the rabbi said, that doesn't count at all. This is your real marriage. <laughs> so <laughs> this is the story about uh, not going back, but having a new beginning, and unfortunately, the TB came back that took his life. He died very young. He was yeah. only 73 years old. And I'm carrying everything I can to be as as healthy as I can be. And knowing that it was meant to be, it was Bashar, that we did end up finding each other as two adults and doing a lot of good work and even going to Israel, doing very, very, very good work for Zionism. And so I think uh, it's good for everybody to take stock and not to say, why me? 
but what now? Because the only thing I have control of is the present. The past is gone. The future is not yet. Dr. Eager, uh, there's a, a, a question from a listener who says, how do you feel when people complain to you about mundane things, given the horrors you have lived through? Well, to them, it's like, uh, you know, it's in my book when a woman and I were crying because the daughter was dying of him or whatever. The next hour, a woman came in from the country club shedding those big tears that her Cadillac came in, and it was not the perfect yellow that she ordered. So do I tell her you should have been an hour ago, you stupid idiot? You have no reason to cry. <laughs> no, you know, I meet people where they are, but I treat them as if they were what they're capable of becoming. Yeah, we called tonight's show Life 2.0 because the message that, that I've taken away from your work is to you actually can leave trauma and pain behind, that you don't have to constantly be reprocessing it. And uh, I, I love that you're able to – sorry, say it again. But you know what? I'd like you to talk to my assistant and come up with another day that we can meet, hopefully, on Zoom, because I feel that I really would like to give the opportunity for people to have a dialogue with me and that we can see each other. I would love that. I would love that. I, I, I want to go back to another scene uh, before we take our last commercial break from your memoirs, and I think this is this can be relevant to listeners who are dealing with PTSD in their lives and trying to close the circle, trying to figure out how to end the repeating pattern of trigger and, trigger and pain and memory. And I know that's an issue for me, Dr. Eager. I, I've opened up before in the program. I won't go into detail here, but I've, I've had... A, Near death and really traumatic experience in my life a number of years ago, and have had you know been in therapy around uh, PTSD from that for for a long time, and really trying to break that cycle. And you talk in the book about uh, later in your life, if I'm not mistaken, it was maybe the late '70s or early '80s, and I apologize if I got the time wrong, where you returned to for, uh, for a conference in in Germany, and you actually. Yeah. Uh, were visiting the, the, you were at a place that was known during the war as the Eagle's Nest, and it was yeah. Hitler's mountain hideout. And you actually yeah. stayed in a room at the conference where Goebbels uh, yeah. stayed, and then you decided yeah. to visit Auschwitz, and you really talked very passionately and um, intensely about how important that was to actually re-enter the, the, the geographical space and mm -hmm. the, the memory to actually close the circle and stop the cycle of PTSD. Um, talk mm -hmm. to us a little bit more about that experience and how it relates to your view of others' healing process in your therapy practice. 
One of the things that it takes is courage to do something that is really coming to you over and over again. You know, your body talks to you, and the body never lies. And that was happening to me, that no matter how much therapy I had, no matter how much work I did, I really had to do my unfinished emotional business and return to that and look at the lion in the face and reclaim my innocence and assign the shame and guilt to the perpetrator and begin forgive myself that I survived. You know, I graduated cum laude, but I never showed up for my graduation because I had tremendous survivor's guilt and all I could tell myself that they are dead and I have no right. And I don't think I would do that today. Today I would go on the top of the roof and yell and scream. <laughs> I did it. I did it. Oh, my God, I did it. You know, it's, it's, it's very, very important to find peace, peace and mostly freedom from the concentration camp that we create in our own mind. And the key is in your pocket. That's called courage. Dr. Eager, it's so beautiful that you said that, to, to, that you need to look the lion in the face and reclaim your innocence. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful exactly. way to describe the, the, the need to actually confront the memories, to confront yes. the pain and kind of vanquish and it. I, I mean, it gave me chills hearing you say it that way. Yes. Dr. Eagle, yes. we'll be we'll be right back. We gotta take one last quick break and we'll be right back. Equal footing is brought to you in part by DocuVax. DocuVax is a system that allows you to digitally store and validate all of your medical records. Your medical records do not belong to your insurance company. They don't even belong to your doctor. They certainly don't belong to the government. Download the DocuVax app on your iPhone or Android device. That's D-O-C-U-V-A-X. And you can also do it online at DocuVax.com for as little as $6.99 per month. DocuVax subscribers can privately access all of their medical records from a secure HIPAA-compliant digital storage facility. And the best part is medical professionals, doctors and nurses, are on call for you 24 hours a day as a DocuVax subscriber to validate your vaccine records, your blood tests, your preventative screening results, or anything else in your medical locker. So put an end to worrying if you or someone else you care about is up to date on a particular vaccine or blood test or an important preventative screening like a colorectal colorectal or breast cancer screening. Take control of your medical file. Get the reminders you need. Get the validation you need from doctors. Get easy references to specialists. Sign up at DocuVax.com. Again, for as little as $6.99 per month or download the DocuVax app on your iPhone or Android device.
We're back for another seven or eight precious minutes with Dr. Edith Eager, Holocaust survivor, New York Times bestselling author of The Choice and the Gift, groundbreaking clinical psychologist. Here's a hard-hitting question, Dr. Eager. I appreciate this listener putting it this way. This sounds like someone who understands what PTSD is about. The question to you, Dr. Eager, is to what degree do fear and shame follow you even today? To what degree do you still have survivor's guilt? I uh, I have gone for a long, long way to see where I am today. I live in a present. I think young, but not young and foolish. I'd love to be 94 years old and tell people that the chronological age is going to happen anyway, but your attitude is going to make all the difference. Because when I was 40, my supervisor told me to get a PhD, and I told him it's impossible. By the time I get a PhD, I'll be at least 50. And he told me you'll be 50 anyway. So maybe as we are (laughs) entering Pesach, ask yourself those questions. What am I doing now? Am I free from my own concentration camp? Am I able to get up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, I love me because self-love is self-care. It's not narcissistic. Am I taking care of my body? Am I eating well? Am I able to sleep well? And most of all, when I say anything I'm going to ask, is it necessary? Is it important? And most of all, is it kind? I am practicing that now all the time, especially when I'm invited to my children for dinner. I am hopefully a good good compassionate listener, and uh, not to try to change anything or shape them anything or preach anything, but to really be a most, most kind mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother, that's my revenge to Hitler. Yeah, amen. I love that revenge. Let's take a quick call here, patient caller. Uh, Dimitri, can we patch the caller in? I'm in Dubai, so have patience here. We're doing this through the studio in New York. Caller on line one, are you on the air? Hello? Yes, hi. Welcome to Equal Footing. You're on the air. Okay, I would just like to say that uh, I was in Eastern Europe a number of years ago. Uh, I went with the uh, American Jewish Congress. We visited Czechoslovakia, Poland. Bulgaria and Hungary. Uh, I was the youngest one in the group. When I said the youngest one, I was the only one under, uh, I'd say 50. And I just want to uh, say that uh, I was grateful that there were the elder people to assist me. Uh, I do not have any personal or members of my immediate family that were involved in the Holocaust, uh, and uh, uh, I was taking Holocaust studies at the university, 
at Seton Hall University in New Jersey. And uh, however, I was not prepared for what I encountered. Uh, for okay. beginners, for starters. Hello? What's, what's your comment? Or, yes, yeah, no, we hear you. What's no, your I would just like to say that it's very important to educate the young people today about the Holocaust because, unfortunately, the rate of getting young Jewish people, people of Jewish descent, have absolutely no knowledge of what happened. Yeah. That's why it's so critical uh, to have these voices uh, on. Dr. Eager, you're, you're 95 years old and you're out there continuing to talk about this, writing, you've written two best-selling book, best uh, books that touch on your experiences in the Holocaust. One uh, spends a lot of time going through that timeline, the choice and the gift. God bless you for doing it. Thank you, caller, for, for emphasizing and that. No, can I just say one more thing? Hello? Yeah, we're just we're about to come up on time. All right. Is it at all possible for Dr. Igor, if I leave my phone number with you, to contact me? I would like to discuss with her my personal experiences. Send me, send me, a, send me a text, and I'll, I'll we'll, we'll connect you with Dr. Igor uh, at nine one seven four two eight. I don't text two. That's. I don't okay. text. We'll, we'll, you know, we're gonna. You can talk to our radio engineer in a second. We'll be. We'll. We'll. We'll get. We'll get you that information. I thank appreciate you. it so very much. Thank you, Dr. Eager. You you said uh, in in the choice that painful experiences aren't a liability; they're a gift. Our painful experiences aren't a liability; they're a gift. Yes. They give us perspective and meaning. Stronger. An, oppor an opportunity to find our oh, unique yes. purpose and our strength. We're, we're, we're about to come up on the hour, but I just want to say that you are a gift. You are a gift to so many in different ways, not just remembrance of the Shoah, which is critical, but also in all of our own individual journeys through pain and PTSD Remembering that we can, as you said, face the lion and remember our innocence, that these painful experiences can actually provide us our unique purpose and our strength, that flowers can grow even in hell. And I just want to thank you, Dr. Ego, for the work that you're doing, and thank you for being on the program tonight. I thank you for your brilliant, beautiful mensch that you are. And don't call me shrink, call me stretch. I like to stretch people, people's comfort zone, that they're willing to risk and take something on board, what they were afraid of, and recognize that any experience is a learning experience. And I'm so happy Amen. I'm able to talk to you. <laughs> I'm hoping to see you again oh. in person. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Eager. Shalom. Yo, 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 yo.